You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. God Almighty, you are our refuge and our fortress, our God in whom we trust, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, we we all know that scene, don't we? We've all seen it in the movie, haven't we? The young boy playing hide and seek with his friends. He searches high and low. He runs down every alley. He chases around every corner. And as he searches for his friends, suddenly he finds himself face to face with the neighborhood greyhound. She is menacing. She is fierce and she's dangerous. The young boy, he just freezes as he looks her in the eye. And what does he do? He does what we expect any young boy would do. He runs for his life. He runs for his life. And I wonder, can you guess where he runs? Can you guess who he flees to? Of course, he runs straight into his parents' arms. He finds refuge in his parents from that menacing greyhound that threatens his life. You know, who he runs to shows who he trusts in, doesn't it? Who he runs to shows who he trusts in. Well, friends, I wonder, where do you run in the midst of crisis? Where do you flee to in the thick of danger? Who's that first person who uh, you pick up the phone to call? You see, all of us seek refuge in something. We all seek protection in someone. The question is, can we trust it? Can we trust our refuge? Should we trust our refuge? Now, last week we looked at Psalm 90, a cry of lament, a cry which recognized our mortality and and realized our sin. And you know what? Isn't it wonderful that, that God gives us a psalm that gives voice to our cry in the midst of crisis? Isn't it comforting that God understands our fears? But you might think to yourself that last week's psalm, look, it amplified my cry, but it didn't answer it. It expressed how I felt, but it didn't actually give me any comfort. Well, you see, friends, Psalm 90, as important as it is, does not have the final word. Because God doesn't leave us in crisis. He always leads us to confidence. Because the crisis of mortality and sin that we encounter in that psalm, in Psalm 90, that drives us to the refuge that we now find in this psalm. You see, if Psalm 90 is our cry, then Psalm 91 is our confidence. This psalm, Psalm 91, assures us that God is our refuge from all harm and for all time. God is our refuge from all harm and for all time. Now I want to remind you of what's probably another familiar scene. Just imagine for a moment that same young boy. But instead of playing hide and seek with his friends, he's now being bullied by them. He's being beat up by the older boys of his neighborhood. And just as that final blow is about to be dealt, a shadow is cast over this young boy. 
the shadow of someone who steps between him and his attackers. A shadow of protection. A shadow of his saviour. You know, that's the picture that we find here in Psalm 90 verse 1. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. Do you see, friends, that God is that protector and we are that young child. It's God who steps between us and all harm. It's he who is that saviour whose shadow is now cast over us. Verse 1, it sums up this entire psalm. It gives us a blessed assurance that if we live in right relationship with God, he will be our protector and he will be our shadow of help. This psalm wants us to flee to him in the midst of our crisis, to make him, according to verse 2, my refuge and my fortress. My refuge and my fortress. I don't know about you, but it can often feel like our troubles in life are an army that's advancing against us. And when we feel that threat closing in around us, what do we want to do? We want to run to our refuge, that stronghold of safety, that place of protection. Just think about it. When Voldemort rallies his armies of Death Eaters, where do Harry and his friends run to? They seek refuge in Hogwarts, the safest place in the Wizarding World. Or when Saruman's armies march on Rohan, where does King Theoden lead his people? They make for the refuge of Helm's Deep, the Hornburg which has never fallen to assault. See, friends, the truth is the same for all of us. All of us find refuge in something. All of us run to somewhere in the midst of crisis. We all search for safety and security in something or someone. You know, it's that very impulse to find refuge that drives people to panic buy and hoard supplies. People so desperately seek security that what do they do? They stock up on a hundred rolls of toilet paper and countless packs of pasta. But have you noticed, even in crisis and a global pandemic, no one wants to touch the gluten-free stuff. We, we, we seek refuge in our homes because whatever else might be happening outside, no, my home is my castle. Some of us will even seek refuge in our marriages or our careers. We think that even if the whole world around us might be falling apart, at least I have my husband, my wife, my career, my success. The problem, of course, though, is that no refuge is perfect, is it? No stronghold is fully secure. Hogwarts can be infiltrated by a pair of vanishing cabinets, and the walls of Helm's Deep can be breached by exploding that small culvert, which is little more than a drain. You see, friends, in this season, we realize more than ever that our places of refuge are not as secure as we once thought. No amount of pasta can satisfy our search for safety. Not even a hundred rolls of toilet paper can wipe away our problems. Our husbands and wives who we cling to fall sick. The careers which protect us are now being threatened by a global recession. And here's the great irony. Our homes which we thought were our protections actually now become our prisons. You see, friends, the painful irony is this. 
We desperately search for safety. We desperately seek out security. And yet, we have never felt less secure. I mean, we could wear a full hazmat suit to protect ourselves from a virus, and yet, it's painfully clear, isn't it? We couldn't be more afraid. Verse 2 says, the psalmist declares that his refuge and fortress is my God in whom I trust. My God in whom I trust. All of us find refuge in something. The question is, where do you find your refuge and can you trust it? Can you trust that your home, your career, your quarantine, your marriage will truly protect you? Is your refuge truly safe and secure? Psalm 91 declares that the only sure and steady defense is our God. Only God is the refuge whom we can trust. And in verses 3 to 13, we see that God is our refuge from all harm. He is our refuge from all harm. Now, if you're not a Christian, you probably think that's a bit of an overstatement. I mean, surely it can't be the case that God protects Christians from any and every harm. But before you shoot it down, let's fly the kite together. I mean, what if? What if? What if there was a refuge that was perfect? What if there was a place where you could flee and whatever danger there was, there you would find true safety? What if there was a person who was infinitely powerful and infinitely good that no matter what your crisis might be, he will protect you? I mean, surely you'd want that. Surely you'd flee there. Surely you'd run to him. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want that? I mean, we line up for hours outside Centrelink hoping that government will save our jobs. We bulk order 500 surgical masks hoping that they might save our lives. But our world is reaching for a refuge that we simply cannot find. But the psalmist wants us to realize that such a refuge does exist. It really does exist. And that refuge is the God of the Bible. You see, if we flee to him, we'll find refuge from all harm. That's what we find in verses 3 to 13. Just look at it with me. In verses 3 and 4, God is like a mother bird who covers her younglings with her wings. In verse 4, he is like a shield which deflects the arrows of danger in the dead of night. You see, whether it's the terror of the night, or the arrows that fly by day, or even plague or pestilence, God is our refuge from all harm. I mean, it's almost as if the psalmist is trying to cover the field and name every possible danger there could be. It's as if he wants us to be assured of God's all-encompassing protection. And so we go, but, but what about this danger? And the psalmist says, yes, even that. But but, but what about that threat? And yes, even that. You see, in verses 9 to 13, this is a protection that extends to the heavenly realms. It guarantees our spiritual safety. 
Not even the forces of nature in verse 13 can conquer us. No, instead, we will conquer them. And then in verse 10, we find the strongest statement of God's protection. It's a statement that is both comforting and yet also uncomfortable. No harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. You see, friends, there is no weakness in this refuge because there is no weakness in our God. There's no vanishing cupboard. There's no drain in the outer wall. Whatever danger you can think of, whatever crisis you can contemplate, God is our refuge from all harm. But let's face it, right? I mean, there's, there's a gap between what we read here and what we experience now, isn't there? I mean, we read these words and then we look at our world and we think to ourselves, my gosh, how can this be true? Is this psalm saying that God will divinely protect Christians from physical harm? You know, there are some Christians who think just that. They claim that Jesus didn't just die for our sins, he died for our sickness as well. Just the other week, uh, one church in Australia quoted this very psalm. And they claimed that, quote, coronavirus will not come near our dwelling or our church family. There are other Christians who will claim that if we pray or if we take communion every day, we'll be divinely protected from this virus. But the truth is that no Christian has actually really believed this until about 100 to 200 years ago. This this psalm was actually written at a time when God's people were suffering. That's the great irony of it. it. When they were experiencing the very harm that this psalm claims that God protects them from. That's the time when they were actually reading this. Let me step you through it. In Psalm 89, God rejects the Davidic king. He abandons Israel to their sins. In Psalm 90, Israel is exposed to the consequences of its sins, and it has no savior, and it has no king to protect it. And then, somehow, here in Psalm 91, in the thick of suffering, Israel laughs in the face of death. They declare that though we have no protector, though we have no king, we have our God. You see, this psalm declares that whatever suffering we might experience, we experience it under the sovereign care of our God. It's not as if we're suffering outside of God's sovereignty, and it's not as if God is unable to save us. No, this psalm is an expression of trust that God is able and that if we suffer, as these Israelites were suffering at that very time, we suffer under the sovereign care of a loving God. You know, it's all too easy for us to trust God when life is good. But will we trust him when it's going bad? We trust him when he appears to deliver for us, but do we trust him when he appears to fail us? Will we trust him when we're surrounded on all sides and when our walls are breached? Will we trust that he will come to us at the turn of the tide? You see, friends, God's people have always been a suffering people. And God's people have always read this psalm as a suffering people. In Philippians 3 verse 10, this is what Paul writes. My goal is to know him, that is Jesus, 
and the power of his resurrection and the, here it is, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You see, friends, we are a suffering people because we follow a suffering saviour. We live cross-shaped lives because we follow a crucified king. And yet, this is the beauty of the gospel. Because in his suffering, Jesus saved us. In his death, he delivered us. Jesus took on flesh and lived as a human being. He fully experienced the suffering, the pain and the hurt that we find right throughout this very psalm. All of it. He took it on himself. He absorbed it all for us. And so he stripped it of its power. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 tells us that Jesus became man so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. You see, friends, as Christians, we are no more immune and no less vulnerable to disaster, disease, and death. We still wear the scars of sin, but we don't bear the sentence of sin. So then, I think the key to Psalm 91 is actually there in verse 5. Do you see it? You will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day. Fellow Christian, we need not be afraid. Whether it's confronting the coronavirus or staring death in the face, Christians have every reason to not be afraid. God is our refuge from all harm. Psalm 91 is true that in an ultimate sense, death will not have the final word. No disaster, disease or distress will ultimately prevail. You see, even more than the Israelites, we Christians can pray this psalm with confidence that though we will die, yet we will still live. We can look back to the cross where our sins were forgiven, death was defeated and Satan was conquered. It was at the cross that the curse on this world was broken and though we live under its shadow, we are free from its power. So when we contract sickness and disease, and we will, when we are struck by the arrows of the night, and we will be, and even when death steals our final breath, and it will, we need not be afraid. For in Jesus, death has lost its sting. We can look death in the face and in the words of the New Testament, cry out, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, I think that's what this psalm is doing in the Old Testament. It's not a set of naive promises of physical protection that we need to claim in faith. No, it's a declaration of confidence of where our ultimate security lies. The power of this psalm isn't just in what it says but in what it's doing. 
This psalm is stealing our confidence and putting strength into our bones. Peter Adam uh, is the former principal of Ridley College here in Melbourne. And this is what he wrote just yesterday. Quote, If we run away from pain and suffering and sorrow and death, that will increase its power over us. No, face them and embrace them for the glory of God. See, if you face and embrace them, their power is reduced. And we can form a new habit, trusting in the good purposes of God. Truly, those who fear God have nothing else to fear. Aren't they beautiful words? Truly, those who fear God have nothing else to fear. Brothers and sisters, God is our refuge from all harm. Do not be afraid. You know, we've seen over the last few weeks a lot of fake news, haven't we? If you hear anything about the coronavirus, especially from WeChat, there is an almost 100% chance that it's not true. And yet, so many people are still convinced it is, aren't they? I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? Now, just because someone makes a claim doesn't make it true. Now, you might be thinking just because this psalm claims that God is our refuge from all harm, that doesn't make it true. Because we can all think of times where we've misplaced our trust, can't we? We can all think of times where we've presumed upon a protection that no one actually promised. We presume that our employer will protect our jobs, but we end up losing it. We presume that hand sanitizer will protect our health, but somehow we still end up sick. Is that the case with this psalm? Is this psalm presuming on a protection that God never promised? Friends, I want you to see that in verses 14 to 16, this psalm ends with an even stronger note of hope. The psalmist doesn't need to presume upon God's protection. Because in these verses, God himself promises it. You see, if you're not a Christian, you might think that we Christians only believe in God out of blind faith and vain hope. But in these verses, God himself is speaking. And I want you to notice all that he promises to do. He will deliver us. He will protect us. He will answer us. He will be with us. He will rescue us. He will honor us. He will satisfy us. And he will save us. If verses 3 to 13 were designed to show us God's all-encompassing protection, these last few verses are designed to show us God's all-encompassing salvation. You know, there's something forward-looking in these promises, aren't there? As God promises to satisfy us with a long life, there's a sense in which this salvation is not just for today, but it's a salvation for tomorrow. It's the promise of better days to come. Don't you long for better days? Don't you long to leave your house and enjoy not being in isolation? 
Don't you long to be together once again as a church family, to sing God's praises together, to share in the Lord's Supper together, to sit under God's word together, to do life together? My gosh, I can tell you, I know I do. I desperately long for that day. You know, the Israelites suffered without a king. And as they did, they longed for the day when God himself would come and be that king. And as Christians, we know that he has. Because in King Jesus, God has delivered on his promises in this psalm. And that means that you and I as Christians can long for an even better future. We can long for the day when Christ will be with us, not just by his spirit, but in the flesh. We can long for the day when we'll be free, not just from the sentence of sin, but finally from its scars and its shadow as well. We can long for the day when death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more. We can long for the day when we will dwell with God and God will dwell with us. The day when finally our refuge will be our home. Don't you long for that day. Friends, God promises us that day will come. God is not just our refuge from all harm. He is our refuge for all time. I have to admit, you know, just even after two weeks of doing this, whatever this is online, one of the things I miss most is singing together as a church family. I mean, I love our church for so many reasons, but one of the, one of the reasons I really love our church is we sing. We sing like we mean it. But I wonder how often when we sing, do you meditate on the lyrics of the song? How often do you actually understand the lyrics of what we're singing? Do you love singing because you love music? Or do you love singing because you love the Lord? You see, in a moment, I'm going to invite us all once again to switch to gallery view so that we can once again see each other. And then I'm going to invite Jeremy and Ruth to lead us once again as we sing a song that's very familiar to our church. Now, here's the thing, right? I, I want you to listen to the significance of its lyrics. I'm going to read them to you right now. And I want you to ask yourself as I read these lyrics, gosh, don't they, do they sound at all familiar? Do they remind you of Psalm 91? Here it is. We won't fear the battle. We won't fear the night. We will walk the valley with you by our side. You will go before us. You will lead the way. We have found a refuge. Only you can save. Sing with joy now. Our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now. No love is greater. Who can stand against us? If our God is for us. Now, I know that most of you are either sitting in your rooms, your studies, your living rooms. Some of you still live at home with your parents or you've got a housemate walking around in the background. And you think to yourself, look, I know that Jeremy and Ruth will lead us to sing, but I'm probably just going to hold it in a little bit. It's a bit awkward me just by myself at home looking at a camera singing that way. But I want to challenge you, friends. I want you to sing this song with all your heart. I want you to sing it at the top of your lungs. 
Because when we do, we join in the heartbeat of this very psalm as we declare that our God is for us. Our God is our refuge. He is our refuge from all harm. And he is our refuge for all time. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. God Almighty, you are our refuge and our fortress, our God in whom we trust, through Christ our Lord. Amen.